Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
Today is Monday, July 1st, 2019. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signs a bill designed to take the right to vote away from formerly incarcerated, even though an amendment was passed that said they could. We'll talk with representative of the Brennan Center. They are part of a three-organization lawsuit against the state of Florida. Also, we'll look at it, how to create a new narrative for black America. New Orleans man is finally exonerated after 17 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Also, black folks are being arrested simply for trying to live their lives. We'll show you some examples. And in Connecticut and Florida, cops are just making it up as they go along. Literally, one of them captured planting drugs by his own body camera. Two legends of the black community are honored in their hometown. And I'm going to deal this whole issue of blackness and Senator Kamala Harris. You know these folks, these American descendants of slaves? How many of them have actually even done a search of their own background to even understand where the hell they are from? I'm gonna show you how this black purity test is really some of the dumbest shit you've ever seen. Oh yeah, it's time to bring the funk from Roller Martin on the filter. Let's go. I told you when Amendment 4 passed in Florida in November that it was going to be an issue. Republicans were not going to sit quietly and watch upwards of 1.4 million people get a chance to register to vote. 65% of voters in Florida passed this particular bill, a bipartisan effort. Well, guess what? Republicans now have signed a bill into law, Governor Ron DeSantis, saying that in order for those folks to get the right to vote, they must pay back all fines and penalties, even though that was not what was specified in the amendment. As a result, the Brennan Center, the ACLU, and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, they have filed a lawsuit against the state of Florida as it relates to this particular measure. It was Friday where Governor Ron DeSantis signed into law this bill limiting how many felons, will, excuse me, formerly incarcerated folks will be able to vote. Now, here's the key here. That is, you've got, again, up to a million four uh, folks there. Now, this morning on the Tom Jordan Morning Show, I talked with Desmond Mead, the brother who spent a decade with the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition trying to get this passed. He said out of the million four, about 850,000 or so uh, have fines or fees that no more, no more than $1,200. But half a million uh, exceeds that. They've also started a campaign uh, where they're raising money to help folks pay those fees back. We will, of course, uh, talk about that uh, with uh, our uh, with uh, with our guest here. Um, I thought we had a guest with the Brennan Center, folks. Do we still have him, or did? Uh, here. Okay, are you there? Sorry, it wasn't in the script here. Uh, and so, uh, first of all, glad to have you here. How, uh, so how, Ms. Perez, how's it going? 
It's going great. I'm so uh, glad to be talking about this important issue, and thank you for sharing this with your uh, viewership. Um, this I, I've been following this. I, I work with Sheena. I work with Desmond uh, on this, uh, raising the awareness. And I and I told them, and Desmond's like, yeah, Roland, you keep reminding me you did. I said, do not trust Republicans in Florida. We were all excited on Election Day in November 2018, and I said they are not going to sit idly by and allow upwards of 1.4 million people to get the right to vote, knowing full well that could change the outcome of elections in that state, uh, not only in these off elections this year in 2019, but also in 2020 in this bill. Uh, that critics are calling a poll tax. It's exactly what this is. This is meant to disenfranchise folks and to ignore the will of the voters. Um, the law is outrageous and illegal, and that's why we're challenging it. Uh, you're exactly right. When we uh, passed this law, uh, passed the amendment back uh, in November, it was a historic move. It was a great uh explanation of how with the right issue and the right people, you can get people of all political stripes behind an important uh, topic of the day. This would have been an opportunity for uh, Florida to put in the past some of its most shameful history. Um, and right now, the legislature uh, has made it very, very plain uh, that they intend to be dragged kicking and streaming into uh, modernity and into a world where uh, it doesn't matter uh, what your skin color is, that we all have the right to a free, fair, and accessible vote. And so with this particular lawsuit, again, I talked to Desmond this morning. Uh, his group, they are not a part of the lawsuit. Uh, it's the Brennan Center, it's the ACLU, and it's NAACP uh, LDF. Uh, and so uh, are, you si are you suing to, to, to get this law declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court there uh, in Florida? Um, what we are doing is we filed a lawsuit in federal court where we are um, asking the court to look at uh, various constitutional protections, and we think that when the court does that, uh, the court's determination will be that this law is illegal because it is a poll tax, because it is unclear and it is vague, uh, because it unreasonably burdens the right to vote, because it was enacted with the purpose of discriminating against minority voters. Um, uh, and the effort that Desmond and others are doing is also equally important because the courts uh, are not a quick process. It's going to take a while for um, this to work its way through its system. And everyone that we can um, get to pay off their fees and fines, um, we should. Uh, one of the challenges that everyone is going to face is that the data is so bad and the databases are not uh, connected and talking to each other. So there may be some people that just simply may not know um, what sort of fees or legal obligations that they have outstanding. And there may be others that aren't 100% confident um, that they will not find something that they missed later on and will later get in trouble for it. That's one of the most pernicious aspects of the law. Like, you're only eligible if you are off your probation and off your parole. Um, these are people who have really made an effort to reintegrate into our society, to be able to contribute. And the fear that they may be inadvertently doing something wrong, like they may be inadvertently um, 
messing up and voting if they have this fine or fee that they don't know about is going to have an enormous chilling effect. It's going to make people second guess whether or not they should register to vote. And that is terrible. That is really, really awful. Um, the whole point behind Amendment 4 was to bring more people back into our community. And um, this uh, really terrible and outrageous legislation is going to be a big impediment to that. All right, then. Uh, Myrna Perez, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the great work of the Brennan Center. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, let's talk about this with my panel, Dr. Avis Jones-DeWeaver, leadership political analyst, also leadership strategist, Dr. Cleo Monago, social political analyst, uh, as well as activist, and Brooke Thomas. She is with the Young Turks out of Los Angeles. Uh, Brooke, I'll start with you. Uh, I kept explaining to folks, again, I never trusted Republicans in Florida. I never believed that they were going to sit quietly by and allow this. They, they sit the signal, and this governor... Uh, made it perfectly clear that they want to make it harder for people. Uh, do you see this as being a poll tax? Uh, and uh, your thoughts on this lawsuit? Yeah, it's absolutely a poll tax. And I'm happy, at least, that this is something that's, that the ACLU is willing to fight. And, of course, this is something the ACLU is willing to fight. But I am of the position that the government, in for no reason, should be able to disenfranchise any American for no reason. I am all about people currently in prison voting, let alone a situation where the voters of this state have overwhelmingly decided this is what they want. And still, the governor comes in and says, that doesn't matter. We're going to reinterpret this a different way. And it's unfair. And I think the citizens of uh, the, the state should, what their voices should matter more, and it should be heard. Uh, Avis, um, again, all the excitement that people had, they thought this would definitely change. Uh, and Republicans, first of all, tried to stop folks saying, oh, well, we're not quite sure. And then the election administrators who were saying, look, we have no guidance from you guys in terms of what in the, what in the heck it is that, uh, that, that we should do. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the Republicans in the House and the Senate did not care. This also ties into the Supreme Court decision dealing with political uh, gerrymandering yeah. because they were able to do this because they have a supermajority in the legislature there in Florida. Absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, this was something that could have and should have been predicted. I mean, unfortunately, um, you we cannot trust uh, the Republican Party to in any way seek to enfranchise people. Uh, in fact, they seek to do the exact opposite. Their modus operandi is to restrict voting as much as humanly possible rather than to expand the franchise. And it's because, as we've mentioned many times on this show before, the demography of this nation is changing. And so what they are trying to do in Florida and rich large as a political strategy all the way up to that Supreme Court decision uh, is to create a situation where we can have minority rule in this nation for eons to come. They are setting up a situation where a minority of the people, white people, quite frankly, because that's where we're going demographically, uh, can continue to rule this country infinitum. Basically, they're trying to set up an American version of South Africa apartheid, and that's exactly what they're doing. Cleo? Well, as I think we all know, the purpose of over-incarceration and disproportionately incarcerating black people is to create disenfranchisement. This legislation that, that the brother and, and his wife in Florida did compromises that agenda in terms of making sure that people who are overly incarcerated do not get to vote. So I think it's important that for, from the white supremacist perspective that this precedent that they broke that they broke is put back in place one way or the other. So DeSantis came up with this legislation, or counter legislation that he came up with to control at all costs, what they want to control, which is pretty much what Dr. 
like the Weaver just said, they want to keep white folks in power regardless of the numbers, regardless of the dwindling power that they might have theoretically. And South Africa is a great metaphor for what they intend to do because they can't mess with the, with the production problem that they have. They've been mm -hmm. trying everything they could do to try to prevent that from being a problem. But it is an issue. And people of color, so-called mostly Latinos, are going to be outnumbering whites, but um, they're doing what they can to prevent that from having any kind of powerful impact. All right. So, like, and you mm -hmm. and you said it. I mean, you said it clear as a bell when they were when we were interviewing them that they were going to do this. So, do you have a turban and a, and a psychic? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Uh, uh, well, first of all, um, uh, well, first of all, I might need that uh, for for this next story, uh, and, and and let's deal with this uh, when it comes to this whole issue. Of blackness. I, this is what I said in, oh, let's see, the third year of Obama's term as president, then when he got reelected. I said, the next black person who runs for president of the United States is going to have a very difficult task. <sighs> I said, because you are going to have some black folks who are not going to give them uh, the same runway they gave President Barack Obama. And what you have seen thus far, specifically when it comes to uh, Senator Kamala Harris is you actually are seeing that. Yesterday I was on MSNBC and we were talking about this whole idea uh, of they were talking about Donald Trump Jr. retweeting uh, someone who said that, oh, did you know that uh, Senator Kamala Harris, her, her, her father is Jamaican and her mother is Indian. Uh, and then of course he later deleted that particular tweet. And I went on and I said uh, that there's a significant problem when you talk about this whole issue of blackness uh, because it is um, black hate cloaked in black love. And so what you've had, you've had all these folks who call themselves ADOS, American descendants of slaves. And so uh, they've been out here talking about this particular agenda. And, and, and what I find to be interesting is that, and which folks also don't want to deal with, is there is a significant uh, hate towards immigrants, even black immigrants, when it comes to ADOS. Uh, I can say that because I've had some of these damn fools literally hit me up saying, oh, you're not really ADOS because your paternal great-grandparents migrated from Haiti, which is really stupid and asinine when you realize that I was born in Houston, Texas. My mama was born in Houston. My daddy was born in Houston. And so I can actually trace lineage back. And the reason this thing is stupid an asinine because these folks somehow believe that they somehow have cornered this idea of creating a black agenda for ADOS people. Okay? And this and then the reason I, I have contempt for many of them, now there are some people who truly believe in terms of candidates should have a black agenda and speaking to the issue of African Americans. I've spent my whole life doing that. Now, some of these fake-ass people all of a sudden decide to just wake up in the last two or three years where those of us like me, I've run three black newspapers. My first internship was with a black newspaper in 1990. Do the math, 2019, 1990, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But the reason why this is stupid, because what you have is you do have people who are questioning her blackness. Now, first of all, if you deal with that phrase itself, who is black. You can actually have a daddy who's from Jamaica, mama Indian, and you still black. African-American saying I'm from the United States. It's a whole different deal. She also was born in the United States, so let's not act like that somehow that also doesn't exist. 
But this thing goes to in terms of what are your interest in issues and concerns. Well, if you actually study uh, Senator Kamala Harris, she hasn't, look at her whole career, she's never actually represented a, quote, black district. If you're a member of Congress and your district is 50, 55, 60, 65% black, okay, that's a whole different deal. But when you've been district attorney, when you've been, oh, attorney general, when you've been, oh, United States senator, it's a whole different deal in terms of who you represent. Then you have the people who are saying, well, uh, she's now she's claiming black when actually that's not true. But let's break this thing down. So if you listen to the folks who's who are on the ADOS movement, they make the argument that, well, because she's not really from here, she doesn't have the interest of black people. Okay. So please explain to me, Clarence Thomas. He's from here. He doesn't have relatives who immigrated from elsewhere. He's from rural Georgia. He can trace his lineage back to slavery. So what do we say about him? See, the reason this is a dumb conversation, because I can show you somebody who is not from here but who fought on behalf of black people. Y'all have heard of Shirley Chisholm? Now, now let me compare Shirley Chisholm and Clarence Thomas. Shirley Chisholm's people are where? Barbados? Not from here. Clarence Thomas is from here. There's an ideological difference. So if you are studying different people, there are people who have ideological differences. Now, why am I also calling these folks out? Because this black purity test, again, is dumb. Because we've seen it before. You know what we've seen before? When we question black people who grew up in the suburbs. See, again, if y'all want to have this discussion about, well, who's ADOS and whose people can trace their lineage back, well, well what happens then when we get somebody black who grew up in the suburbs? And black people say, well, you're not really black. Yeah, I know that do ha it happens, right? So w what do we say then? W what do we then say to somebody who's black, who's ADOS, who can trace their history back? But they went to all white schools. And they don't necessarily have the same perspective as other folks who are down. See, I love these folks who hit me on Twitter and hit me on Facebook and hit me on Instagram and, oh, Roland, you don't really believe this when I've been on the front lines while a bunch of y'all been playing video games and now all of a sudden you woke because your ass been asleep while those of us have been awake for a very long time. If you want to question a person's policies, that's fine. But when you start playing this game of blackness and what do they claim, then you got dumbass Boyce Watkins, who <laughs> then says, how did Kamala Harris go to an HBCU and bury a white man? as if you ain't never seen. But see, the real deal is that the only reason Boyce did that 
because he's an attention whore and he wants folks talking about him. That's why he did it. Yeah, I went ahead and said it. Okay? And so that's what you're dealing with there. The problem with all of this is it's a stupid conversation. Yes, it's stupid. Eric Holder, first black attorney general, okay? Sitting here right now, working on the campaign, dealing with partisan gerrymandering. Where are his folks from? Barbados. General Colin Powell. Where are his folks from? Yep, West Indies. Harry Belafonte. Where are his folks from? Again, Malcolm X. Mama from Grenada. Do y'all even understand we can go down the lines of a lot of black people who have been on the front lines in this country fighting on behalf of black people who are not pure black people? That's what this thing is about. This literally is a black purity test. And it's stupid. It's really stupid. And then some of y'all say, well, no, we're not questioning your blackness. Yes, you are. Game, recognize game. And we've seen this when people have questioned black folks who did, well, you not really black. Because you didn't, see, we know the old deal. You didn't grow up in the hood. But what the hell is the hood? I grew up in a, whole, I grew up in a black neighborhood. Oh, we wasn't a project. <laughs> but it was an all black neighborhood. In fact, it was the first master plan, one of the first master plan black communities by the racist department of uh, housing urban development in the 1940s. Yeah. Real black. That's what I grew up in. Clinton Park in Houston. Okay. So does that make me fully black? And what is fully black? Does it mean having a mama and daddy in the house or coming from a single parent home? Do you see how this is stupid? Do you see how this is nonsensical when we are literally spending time on that nonsense as opposed to the actual issues that impact us? And then I had somebody tell me, well, uh, well, this is the year return where you can go back. For all y'all people who don't know a damn thing about what's happening in the world, seven of the ten fastest growing economies in the world, right now, are in Africa. Seven out of ten. Now, black folks been saying forever, oh, we would love to be able to go back to the motherland, have relationships. So why are we creating dissension by trashing folks who are from black countries like Jamaica, Haiti, Bermuda, <clears throat> African nations, because we want to say, no, 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 but you're not pure black. You're not from here. That's not really, really your interest. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it should be no part of this damn debate. Now, if you, again, if you want to challenge Senator Kamala Harris on issues, go right ahead. If you want to challenge Senator Cory Booker on issues, go right ahead. No problem. But to literally be sitting here and having a dumbass discussion about blackness that, to me, is trifling. It is trifling. And the last point before I go to my panel, if you're one of those folks who are sitting here and you're tweeting, you're talking, and you're saying, oh, if they don't do this, I'm not going to vote. 
you are dumb as hell. Donald Trump has already appointed more than 120 judges to the federal bench. More than likely, the Republicans will confirm another 40 to 50 before the election in 2020. That means if you sit your stupid ass at home and don't vote and literally give him another four years, that means that he will more than likely appoint another 250 to 300 federal judges to the bench. Right now, he's already appointed upwards of 20% of appellate judges. Now, what does that mean? For all the issues y'all care about, that means when you file a lawsuit, you're likely going to have a Trump appointee hear it in court, which means a right-wing judge. You just heard us talk about the lawsuit they're filing against Florida in federal court. That mean, And those judges will be anywhere from 35 to 45, which means they will be sitting on the bench for the next 30 to 40 to 50, possibly 60 years. That's right. That means that if you are a black kid today who's 18, there's going to be a federal judge appointed by Donald Trump who might be sitting on that bench when you are almost 70. But some of y'all are sitting here and you're saying, I'm not going to vote. It makes no sense. Now, nah, what makes no sense is some of the rhetoric coming from you. And let me be real clear. Y'all can sit here and tweet me. Y'all can sit here and cuss me out. I really don't give a damn. Y'all can sit here and try to question my blackness. And you know what? I just quote Della Reese from Hard Night. Kiss my entire ass. <laughs> this is dumb and they are because there are people who are not from this country who have fought along with besides folks who are from this country because they said the African diaspora is important and oh by the way if you sitting here want to talk all this smack then you want to dog folks who are not from who are not purely black well damn it stop quoting the slave uprising in Haiti the first successful slave revolt in the Western Hemisphere. Well, then stop quoting other individuals who are not from here. Because all you're doing is embarrassing yourselves, and you really have no understanding of black history. And when I say black history, yeah, black history. History here and in other black countries. Cleo. Well, your entire ass? Okay. Yeah, Even in, no, entire <laughs> ass. Okay, that's, okay. I'm going to leave that alone. Um, I love some food rolling this shook. No, I just did, wanted to go ahead and say it because I'm tired of stuck on stupid people, uh, such as you, Haywood Johnson. Uh, rolling. So if you post a comment, trust me, I'm going to call you out. Go ahead, Cleo. <laughs> I have not followed this 80S track that you're referring to, so I don't know what that all entails. But of course, I've heard conversations about K Kamala being black enough, but it wasn't in the context of 8OS, 8OS. And I think that there's other issues here that people are reacting to. Again, it's, I'm not coming from an 8OS perspective. I don't know that perspective mm -hmm. as well as you. But I think there's 
people who don't trust Kamala because she has a white husband. And I think they're questioning her commitment to black people. Which is stupid. And black issues. Which is stupid. But okay, well, well stupid is one way of looking at I'm it. I'm going to call it stupid. Okay, but, but let me finish. Pam Belafonte's okay. had two and white wives. Exactly. We know he black, but go ahead. Exactly. Okay, well, I think it's, I think it's important, as I was talk, telling the producer earlier, that we actually unpack and dialogue around why people have the perspective they have. Because we can call them name and call them stupid, but that's not going to transform them. From their perspective, their perspective has merit, and I think we should engage it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, so don't, don't make any assumptions about me. But when you live in a society where white men have killed, continue to kill as cops in any other ways they can, have lynched, have castrated, have done damage to black men, there's a knee-jerk reaction among some black people about, wait a minute, how are you going to be, quote-unquote, with somebody who looks like these people that have done harm to us? Now, that might be a, quote-unquote, stupid reaction if you come from a place of intellectual analysis, but if you come from a place of trauma and emotional reaction to the assault on black people, you question it. Okay. Also, let me finish. Also, some of the reactions that people had to the debate, if I'm not mistaken, because I didn't watch the whole thing, but I think there was one section where a white woman named Joan Baez, what was her name? Marion Anderson? Ma no, Marion Williamson. Mar I'm sorry, Marion Williamson brought up reparations for a split second, and I was quickly interrupted by com Cam Cam Kamala, who talked about a child... Kamala. I'm sorry. Kamala, who talked about a childhood busing experience. And people interpreted that a certain way. That may be behind, I don't know, some of these Eidos reactions that are coming off as being so-called black enough. I mean, Colin Kaepernick is half white. As far as I'm concerned, you can't get more black-affirming than the behavior that he did. Colin Kaepernick is and half it, white. We can go on. Jesse Williams, half white. Well, I mean, we can go down. We can go down. We can, we can name a lot of half white people. Barack Obama, half, half white. Hell, black people love Halle Berry, half white. Well, right, but and my, let's look at all the black men well, who are married to or either having sex with well, white a, women. Well, that's a whole, let's just be real. Well, that's about a whole other issue. Let's talk about it contextually, though. I mean, no, 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 no. no, no, no. I'm not sure it's a, who she is married to ain't got a damn thing to do with policy. Because here's why: the same people who are critical of Harris for her policies, do they love Obama? He had a black wife. So it, having a black wife or a white husband ain't got yet to do it. She is running for president. And my deal is, I'm not gonna sit in, well, you know, you married a white man. Look, first of all, that's who she married. Ain't got nothing to do with me, I married a black woman. Like, like, I, like I said before, you can easily intellectually do an analysis like that. But people's reactions to this is based on people needing behavioral proof that people have their back as black people. Yeah, but but but, but, but you can't even but you can't but, he, but he, he, it's he, the behavioral he, issue, right? And that, but my, my deal is look at policies. Go ahead, Abers. Then we go to Brooke. Yeah, you know it would be nice if people would form their opinions based on logic and fact. Yeah, it would be. That nice. would be a refreshing change here. And trauma interrupts I that. Am, well, well, maybe they need to get go to a therapist then. Maybe let's suggest they all go to therapists because I've been following the ADOS group, as you've mentioned, and they are very, it's a very, they are completely detached from an understanding of the transatlantic slave trade. Let's first say that, okay? Let's first I say agree. that. That they seem to not understand that the difference between me 
and my brothers and sisters in Jamaica, and my brothers and sisters in Guyana, and my brothers and sisters in Barbados. Or Brazil. Brazil is where they were dropped anyway, off. Who got dropped off? They got the dropped damn off. boat dropped us. Yeah. We are the same blood. I agree. We are the same blood. And you are showing your ignorance when you don't get that. And you keep making these dumbass statements, okay? That's number one. Number two, the stuff about who Kamala married. Number one, she didn't get married till she was 50. And I can tell you she dated a lot of black guys. So let's just say something right here. With all these black men, like a Dr. Boyce Watkins, who wants to conjecture around how could she, what is the reason, how, why did she marry a black, a white man when his own damn daughter married a white man? Maybe it's the same reason his daughter married a white man, perhaps. Damn. It ain't none of your business. That's the answer, <laughs> number one. That's the answer. And number two, the bottom line is, as you mentioned, this woman has gotten where she is on her own. A lot of times when people bring things like this up, it's because of the sexist notion that the only way an intelligent woman can get somewhere is if she got there from having a sex with a man or because of her proximity to white male power. This is, this is, the, this is the sort of the innuendo that a lot of people are raising when they raise that issue. In fact, right. And other bullshit. Right, they, they, because first of all, we had Willie Brown here, and uh, of course, uh, they dated. And first of all, if anybody wants to understand California politics, Brooke, uh, one of the most powerful people in California politics for the last 40 plus years is Willie Brown, a black man. <laughs> yep. uh, and and so, uh, so it amazes me, this whole idea like, oh yeah, she had white folks who were taking care of her career, whatever. Uh, and again, and here's the deal. I don't, I don't, for the people who, and, and let me be real clear. I haven't endorsed anybody. Uh, I've interviewed numerous candidates uh, and, uh, and I'm looking at everybody. But the issue that I have here, and then some of the people are saying, well, no, and I've already seen some of the comments rolling. Some of us are looking at her policies. Okay, good. That's fine. That's fine. But Brooke, the problem I have, well, the people who literally are having this blackness conversation when I know when I've heard people have the same discussion about black people who were born in Alabama or whatever, who are from here, and they like, well, they didn't really grow up in the hood. Oh, so let me break all of all of the, the uniqueness stuff. Well, so-and-so went to a private school. They ain't really black. So-and-so grew up uh, in an upper-middle-class neighborhood. They ain't really black. Uh-oh, you in Jack and Jill. You ain't really black. Uh-oh, uh, you, oh, you in a fraternity sorority. You ain't really black. All these people out here even holler, oh, uh, uh, you in the boule. You ain't really black. You have, you have all these folks who want to start assigning who's not really black to determine whether or not you really down with the cause. And that's just asinine. Absolutely. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It is internalized racism that I think just perpetuates white supremacy on a larger scale. That's absolutely just completely what this is. And there's a little bit of sexism in it. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, the person, one of the main people complaining about this, their daughter married a white person. So it has nothing. It's performative. Part of it is performative. And I don't believe that people who are perpetuating this horrible conspiracy 
deserve any time. We shouldn't listen to them. I don't think we should have those conversations because I don't think your trauma or what you believe is your trauma is an excuse to abuse someone else and create trauma on them. Now we are having national conversations debating her identity and her blackness, and it's horrible. And when it comes to wanting somebody to have your back, you know, how often do we have the perspective? Because we always say perspective matters, and I do believe it matters. And we sat there on the debate stage, and one of the most talked about moments came from a black woman with a lived experience of benefiting from busing, something that Joe Biden was against and kind of brought in this state's rights narrative that harms the ability of black people being able to maintain and achieve and hold on to their civil rights. And we had a person who experienced that personally. And that conversation was a conversation that needed to be had for America. But it put, you know, in the forefront right there, Black people, Black Americans, and our history. And how is that not having our backs? How from that is the takeaway, well, she's not Black enough? That is absurd. Well, I got somebody here, uh, uh, Janine Moran Donald. She's not Black. Actually, she is Black. She's not African American. (laughs) Roller. But she's black. But here's the deal, though. She was oh. black enough to get bust. If yeah, she wasn't but, black, she right. would have been in the white school. And the problem, and again, what you have, because here is the this whole deal with with these with ADOS folks, is that is that uh, the only people who should be benefiting from policies are people who are descendants of slaves, and nobody else, which. Okay, that's not gonna happen because the reality is, if we when a law is passed, it's not like you can literally say I'm just gonna exclude all these people here. Now there are examples where sectors or individual groups or whatever, depending upon whatever it was, have been impacted. But the thing that that still is tripping me out here is for all of this attention that going that's going towards Senator Harris. Are the same folks actually demanding in terms of from other candidates? No. And, and and what are they speaking to? And and the reason I'm also I'm, and the reason this is a bigger issue for me, Cleo, is because black folks are going to have to reconcile with this reality. That as we continue further, this could be more interracial marriage. And so what we're also doing is we literally are saying to, I'll say it, black kids who may be the product of an interracial relationship. And what some of the people are doing is you got to pick. You got to pick. It's like, look, people are, people have been going crazy. I'm going to use Tiger Woods, for example. Folks have been going crazy Tiger Woods. Uh, he called himself combination. Okay, why did he call himself that? Because his dad is black. His dad is also Native American. But his mama is Thai. And he also has white folks in his family. But he used to say he was black. Who? Tiger. When? I have it on tape. Right. Because I've actually examined this phenomenon. Right. And there's tape with him about 13 years old where he's calling himself black. Got it. And the assumption is that something occurred, which I'm going to talk about. And what did he talk about? And what did he talk about? He talked about racism that he experienced on various golf courses, things along those lines. He talked about that. Uh, on tape. Well, later, not around the time he called himself black. But no, no, actually, he talked about it. Actually, in the interviews that I've seen, when he also was a kid, he talked about racism that him and his dad experienced when they couldn't play certain golf courses, things like oh, those that, yes. But here's the point I'm making. The point I'm making is when daddy black, mama tie, 
you've got some black folks who are like, no, no, you black, so basically forget your mama. But I, I know, I know some individuals personally, personally, who say that, wait a minute, my mama's black, my dad is white, or my dad is white, mom's black, or whatever, and they said, why can't I simply say I'm biracial? Why do I have to pick? I'm saying that because we are going to have more and more people who are like this here. You show sure off. And what we are seeing here is a dynamic where, hmm, you ain't really black, you ain't really black, and that's, to me, it's nonsensical. Okay, Roland, let me say something and make something very clear here. First of all, I am with Eidos, and Eidos is not my frame of reference. And one of my critiques of Eidos, which is why I'm not with Eidos, is what you broke down in terms of the fact that they're trying to be divisive and separate black people based on where the boat landed during the, during the enslavement period. And I don't agree with separating us along those lines, so I want to make that clear. I also want to say that black people, and let me finish, because folks love well, to First of all, you're talking, so talk. Uh, yeah, but that's how people always interrupt when I say Man, things like this. Just talk. Black folks live in a context where there's been intergenerational media and institutional rejection of black people, mm -hmm. mistreatment of black people, and black people who have passed and then all kinds of stuff that was anti-black, including marrying white folks as an anti-black reaction. And when I was an undergraduate, I did a whole research project on interracial attitudes and why black people make the choices they make. And I won't get into that right now, but a lot of the reasons why black people make those choices were anti-black. Mm -hmm. And the people who were white in my sample, their reasons for being with black were not anti-black. It was based on fetish and all kinds of other kinds of things. But there's lots of anti-black attitudes in this society. What's going on with some of these people who are not good at articulating what's happening with them, they're more immediate in terms of what's on the surface, is they're concerned about Be people's behavior that looks like it might be rejecting of them as black people. That is a legitimate perspective. It might be dysfunctionally acted out sometimes. And also, we're living in, in a time now where the media and corporate America is disproportionately pushing biracial families, biracial relationships, black man with white woman. If you watch TV right now and get your calculator, you'll find very few black-on-black -black relationships when it comes to black-on-black -black love and the affirmation of that capacity in the media landscape. So there's people reacting to that. There's people who are skeptical because of the attack on black-on-black -black love, which Ray Charles can see, that's happening in the media and that's being pushed by corporate America. I went to a tire shop the other day, as I said on your show before, and I saw a tire advertising where there was a brother who looked like me with a child. It was just him and that child who was clearly half-white. And these are models. These aren't real families. These, these, are, these are contrived, put-together situations that somebody intended to put together. So some black people, including Cleo Monago, who's concerned about this biracial push that's, that's implying that black people loving each other is not as valuable as black people loving white people. That's a real agenda that's happening. So there's people who are looking at whether they're wrong or right, looking at the likes of Kamala, who from their perspective interrupted the reparations conversation during the debate, like, where is she coming from? And we don't want no we don't want no white man as the first lady with a black with a, with a black president. The first one he's not gonna be the first. Well, lady. of course, I'm, I'm, first, I figure a speech. He's gonna be a man. He'd be the first man. Well, but well, but see, you being rational, I'm talking about what people well, his, are emotionally well, 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 saying to well, themselves. For the folks who are emotional, well, I, 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 look, it's real, man. No, no, no. I, I, I understand it's real. Deal I understand it's real, but as Ava said, some people need to go here and get some therapy. Here is the piece that people I, who were slaves need therapy. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, well, no, what I'm saying is that, that what I'm saying is, that's why I said, what I said is, this is this is self hate cloaked in self love. And if you told, Sometimes, if you but told, not all the time. if you, told, I didn't say all the time, but I'm saying this here. If you told me, Roland, you got to pick this 
ADOS person whose history and their concern ain't got a damn thing to do fighting for the liberation of black people. But this cat, who's from Haiti or Jamaica or from an African country, and they are ready to stand side by side with you, guess who I'm going to pick? The person who's fighting for freedom. Absolutely. And that's what, so what I'm trying to get people, people to understand is you might be an American descendant of a slave and you might not give a damn about black people. And so we've got to stop this whole... It's like, well, no, this is why I am. This conversation can't be centered around Ados. They are a... No, 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 no. I'm only mentioning that because I'm also expanding it, Avis, because what we are dealing with, we are dealing, and I keep saying on the show, why we have to have a retraining, a reprogramming of black America, because when you have a level of self-hate, all of a sudden it begins to, well, no, 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 y'all, y- y'all ain't one of us, so, it's just you, so you go over there, when it's some folk on our side who ain't down with us. That's why Absolutely. I use Clarence Thomas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as, as you mentioned, I think it, it makes sense and it's logical to critique every candidate on their record. But let's critique every candidate on their record. And what I am seeing is some interesting um, folk fixation on Kamala that I am not seeing on anyone else. Guess what? Newsflash, she's not the only prosecutor running. Oh, right. Number one. Uh, 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 Klobuchar yeah. was a prosecutor, record. And you also don't have the same attacks on Senator Cory Booker that you have not- with Harris. Absolutely. Who authored well, the crime bill? Who authored the crime bill? It was Not Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Okay. So, you know, I, I think, and, and what does a prosecutor do? I, 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 I have, well, they actually what? Enforce the darn laws. Okay. So they enforce the laws that are on the book. So, so I think it's very interesting to me that she has been singularly fixated on by this group from day one. It's not just from this particular debate. It's from the moment that she announced. And it has been very, very strategic. Right. It has been coordinated. And I believe that there are... It's, it's a Adel, really good... Brooke, Brooke, yes. right, hold on, hold on. Brooke, final comment from you. And again, I do believe, I'm telling you, I believe some of this also has to do that there are black people who are upset, who believe that black people didn't benefit from Obama, and I said it. The next black person who runs, they gonna catch hell because <laughs> of Obama. Now, ain't that something? I think that's true. But it's so bizarre because I think you're right. You're right. The next black person that runs is catching all of this, but Biden is just sailing through. That's wild. P- Kamala Harris is being judged harsher than Joe Biden. And I have a problem with that. I do think that there is a lot of sure sexism in a lot of these conversations about her. I want to bring I want to bring in right now uh, Trabian Shorters, founder and CEO of BME. Uh, we were, of course, uh, before even this, all this stuff came up, we were scheduled to talk to him about this whole narrative for Black America. And so, Trabian, welcome to the show. Uh, your thoughts on this conversation? No, no, brother. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's actually uh, a really poignant and uh, enlightened conversation. But at the heart of it is, and you've all said it over and over again, the question of blackness is a distraction from our actual black agenda. While we're running around spending all this time and energy trying to figure out who's brown enough and who's not and who should be married to whom, we're not spending any energy talking about what is our actual agenda. How do we build black health, black wealth, 
black know-how, black networks, black love, black, like, that part, don't get to spend any bandwidth on because we're spending all our time on these things that, like I said, to and, me. And Trayvon, when, uh, when you say black agenda, also, folks, having a real black agenda that's outside of reparations, because here's the piece, a candidate can stand on stage and say, I support reparations, got it. Is it going to pass the House or the Senate and get signed into law about Trump? Okay, so fine. Can has said, I believe in reparations. All right, what's next? See, I mean, and, and that's the yeah, piece. So, so the people I hear yelling at reparations, I'm like, okay, gotcha. I heard you. Uh, what else is on your agenda? This is. Uh, Trey, so go I'm ahead. I'm going to go to Brooke. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, if, if I may, here's, here's, here's what's on my mind. When you get right down to this question, whether it's the question about, you know, who's black enough or who's not, or, if, or it's the question about our actual black agenda, the main thing that we have to answer is who do we think that we are? Because I have worked with thousands of black leaders now, and I've worked with thousands of white leaders now, and when you ask them the question about black America and how they define black America, both white liberals and black liberals, for lack of a better word, black progressives, they all define us according to some type of dysfunction, some moment in our past, mm -hmm. like slavery, some nonsense about whether we're at risk, high crime, absent father, all that kind of, that rhetoric is repeated by both our friends and our foes and by us, when in reality, we all got excited about a billion dollar grossing movie called Black Panther, because it depicted black folks from a wealthy nation that had educated women leading and dedicated black men committed to the community and the country. And they were all tech savvy and they were cool and they were brilliant. And by the way, everything that I just named about that mythical place called Wakanda is true of black people in America. We're a $1.2 trillion economy. Our women are among the most educated in the country. The black men are the most dedicated fathers, according to the CDC. You know black folks love tech because we do it all the time. You know we're the arbiters of cool and fashion. So everything that we loved about this mythical place, we actually have. We just don't act like we have it. We don't talk about ourselves, and we don't define ourselves in the truth that is us, that we are beautiful, that we are accomplished, that we are capable. I was talking to a brother uh, who's an activist two days ago. When I mentioned to him that most black people are not poor, he paused and said, well, that can't be right. <laughs> like, most black people in America are not poor. Yes, there's more than we want. And yes, black on black crime is a real thing. But you know, 99 point something odd percent of black folks do not actually commit black on black crime, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. So when we look at our reality, all my, my thought is all this energy we spend denigrating ourselves and then figuring out how to box ourselves, you know, climb out of this hole that we've done in terms of the way we think about ourselves and the world think about, thinks about us, we can fix all that just by telling the truth about who we are and defining our people by our aspirations. And then once we've you know, made that clear who we are and who we aspire to be, then we can talk about any kind of challenges that we face. But if you don't do it that way, if you don't acknowledge our aspirations, our contributions first, that people start to think that all we are is a bag of problems and dysfunction. Brooke, and that is so far from the truth that we get in the sick conversation. Brooke, uh, Travia makes a great point there. I, I, love, I love that he brought up Black Panther. I remember when the movie came out the first weekend, I think he did about $240 plus million in opening <laughs> weekend. And I had posted something on my Instagram page and I said, uh, what if we bought it? I said, what if, we, what if we gave the equivalent of the cost of two tickets to our uh, favorite HBCU. And Brooke, I had people who were coming at me saying, why can't you just let us enjoy the moment? <laughs> and this, then other people said, <laughs> then other people, Brooke said, that's not gonna make a difference. And I went, 
uh, fool, how do you think it made $240 million if people didn't buy tickets? And I'm going, you do know it made $240 million because folk bought one ticket, two tickets, three tickets, four tickets, and they literally could not put two and two together and say, hmm, if we were so hyped about a movie, which I loved, why can't we get hyped about an HBCU? And they literally said, we couldn't do it. I'm like, but we just did it with Black Panther. Go ahead, Brooke. Yeah. I, I think that you can do both. It's a, it's a great yes. thing. No, 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 no. But, no. but Brooke, what was amazing, though, is they actually said we couldn't do it with the HBCU. And I'm like, we just did it with the movie. Right. That's just people who didn't want to. That's why we're in the situation that we are, right? I just think people yeah, do it's time, it's time. Oh, sorry, sis. Go ahead. Yeah, you're okay. Go ahead, Trayvon. I was going to say, it, it is literally time for the next narrative for black America. We have, you know, if you're a civil rights generation person, that means you're in the baby boom generation. And the baby boom generation is, you know, getting into the late 60s, 70s, and so on. So literally, they're celebrating the 50th anniversary of everything is because they were around 50 years ago. And we're at a point now where so much has changed in our context that we have to update our narrative. And I think the right way to update it is to start off by telling the truth about black people as actually aspiring and accomplished beings because we've been that. We've been assets in this country, literally, since the day we got here. And the only question is, who owns this asset? Well, we actually, own ourselves, I, well, actually Trayvon, or do other people I, I, own it? I, I, I'll interject with this here. And I want Cleo to speak to this yes, because we've talked about this a lot. And, uh, and I'm going I'm to schedule this because I think we need to do it. I'm telling you, if you read Dorothy Cotton's book, Dorothy Cotton... Yeah was the only woman in Dr. King's inner circle. And she was responsible for the SCLC's Citizenship Education Training Plan. If you want to join SCLC, you would come in to their group. You would then get assessed, Cleo. They would assess you and they would go, okay, this person needs to be reprogrammed. And so they would take you through this program to say you need to be reprogrammed before they will allow you to even join the SCLC. I absolutely believe that what is, is missing is a massive reprogramming of black America. Not only you talk about trauma, you talk about the power of white supremacy. I, I was playing golf today, and this brother was this brother goes, uh, he said, Man, nigga, please. Then he stopped and was like, you know what? I need to stop saying nigga. He said, because there's somebody who's suing a coach right now who, who said to these, these basketball players, the AAU players, uh, uh, you niggas need to start playing better, and one of the parents is suing him, and the brother supports the lawsuit. But he used the N-word in our conversation, and I'm sitting there going, and it's like I blocked somebody the other day who called me a coon. I said, oh, but you're conscious. I said, hold up. How can you be a conscious brother, but you're using the exact same language that white oppressors used against us? I said, now, you want to criticize me, fine. I said, but why don't you use some language that white oppressors don't use? And I'm, and I'm telling you, the, 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 the level of self-hate that exists, and we also think a lot of that is self-love. But I'm on. Hold on one second. Hold on, Cleo, then you. Self hate is not black people's fault. 
Right. Self-hate is not a intellectual choice that someone made on a Thursday because I hate myself on Friday. <laughs> Right. Self-hate is a consequence of environment in white supremacist culture called the United States of America, which is why I mentioned the media and all those influences. It's important, what you just said is so key, and it's more important than getting mad at black people for being confused, which they did not choose to be because they don't even know they're confused. It's creating that model, that deprogramming, what I call trance-breaking strategy. My work is built around trance-breaking because we're in a trance. When somebody is grown and calls somebody the N-word and then has to step back and go, why did I do that? And going through all these psychological d dynamics, it's because they're in a white supremacy trauma trance. So it's not helpful if somebody's in a trance to re-traumatize them with name-calling, with assaults, <laughs> with getting mad at them Stupid. for being... See, that, that go ain't, ahead, go that, ahead, go ahead. That ain't helpful. <laughs> That's not helpful, Roland. We need to do things... But that they're not breaking from their trance. No, it doesn't. We, we, we need to do stuff that's going to deflect trauma and that's going to create a space to actually critically, critically self-evaluate. Okay, I'm not going to call you stupid. I'm going to say, you sick as hell. Well... Is that better? Well, your neck was still doing the other... The other. What, 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 what? I can't, I can't believe add to it. You have to come off as if you give a damn. I do give a damn. I know you give a you damn. You sick as hell. I know you care. That's, that's what's ironic about your approach. <laughs> I, I know you, Roland. I know you care. I don't care what nobody call you, whatever. I know for a fact that you are in love with black people and you're about the affirmation and the advancement of black people. What I'm actually to consider, and we should do a show on this, is strategies to do trans-breaking work. All right. So we can come out, so we can deprogram, like you said, because we do need to do Right. Trabian, then Brooke, and yes. Avis, and then I'm going to close this out and go to a break and then come back and finish the rest of the show. Go. All right. So all I was going to say is our whole organization is dedicated to a next narrative for black America. We have 300 fellows across the country. They're all black, all different walks of life. Some of them in finances, some of them on the street, some of them, but everybody's committing themselves to our people. And how do we tell a story of our people from an asset perspective and then set an agenda that is about building our health, our wealth, our know-how, our network, and our communities. We're holding a conference in October. You can come check us out at nextnarrative.net, and I will stop there. Brooke, go ahead. I just want everybody, you know, to not cause pain in order to help soothe their yeah. own. Yeah. Well, you that was short and sweet. All right. right uh, uh, Travian, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Give us the website again, Travian. Yeah. Nextnarrative.net. All right. Where is he? Uh, thanks a bunch. In the country. Ask him. Yes, where, brother, where are you in the country? Where are you based? Uh, we're headquartered in... Yeah, yeah, we're headquartered in Miami, but we work around the, the whole the whole nation. You're in Miami. Okay, okay. all right. Yes. Trayvon, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Brooke, we ain't done. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to a commercial break. I'll be back. Roller Mark Unfiltered, just a moment. You want to check out Roller Mark Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Hey guys, they're back. MarijuanaStock.org has another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in their last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a bunch of money in just a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company. Folks, the last time many of y'all missed it, y'all been sending me emails like, can I get involved? Well, you now have a second opportunity. This new investment opportunity uh, is as good, if not 
not even better than the last one. I'm talking about industry hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is the cousin of marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S., creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants, which makes for an incredible investment opportunity. And that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right, they are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action by investing in their crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks, up to $10,000. If you want more information, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org, and yes, it is a black-owned company. All right, folks, folks, Royal Clark Jr., a Louisiana man, has been finally freed after serving 17 years in prison for an armed robbery he did not commit. He was convicted on the word of an eyewitness who falsely identified him as a suspect in a 2001 Burger King robbery. He's always maintained his innocence and was exonerated when the fingerprint found on a cup used by the suspect was re-examined. And, of course, it didn't match. Think about that. 17 years in prison. All right, folks, many of you saw this viral video where Shaquille Dukes was admitted to a Chicago hospital for pneumonia. Now, his doctor ordered him to walk around the hospital to help his healing. Following his doctor's orders, he was walking on the hospital grounds connected to his IV machine. And this happened. I don't want you to move that because if you pull it out, it's from uh, Cletus. This man is this told me. Yeah. The doctor told me. And it's How I'm saying this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. bullshit. I know this game way too much. Officer Moore, you just came here. Your tone is here. Okay. Excuse me. Is um, Janet up there? I just spoke to Janet. Dang. I give you permission to leave the hospital. But nobody said we're leaving. Well, you're on city property, not hospital property. He took me up to hospital property. Look up. All right, the cop said he stole the IV machine and was planning to sell it on eBay. His IV was removed and he was taken to the hospital. He has filed an official complaint. Uh, Brooke, I'm going to go to you. Um, I know a lot of black people. I lived in Chicago six years. I don't know anybody black who wants to steal an IV machine <laughs> walking his ass around in a hospital robe with his ass out I'm just saying, that ain't quite the uniform I might wear to steal an IV machine. Yeah, it's dehumanizing. <laughs> Videos like this, they just make me so sad. It's dehumanizing. If you're a police officer, your number one job, you're supposed to protect, right? They're assuming, I'm assuming they, they think they're some safety threat and they need to protect from, I think they eventually said they arrested him for disorderly conduct. Um, why wouldn't the first thing be to go back to the hospital and make sure he's safe, make sure he's okay before you yourself, a non-doctor, take a needle out of his arm, take his IV catheter, excuse me, out of his arm and arrest him? It, it just, 
the whole thing is upsetting. Watching that video is upsetting. The fact that he can't go for a walk in a whole hospital gown. You know what I mean? Your hospital gown, you don't even have your underwear on under that. You know what I mean? The hospital gown, he's holding on to an IV and ends up in the back of a police cruiser? Uh, Avis, this is not hard. If you are a cop, call the hospital. Do y'all have a patient named so-and-so? Yes, we do. Is he still admitted to your hospital? Yes, he is. That right there solves the whole issue. Absolutely does. But here's the thing that I think that we need to really recognize. Not only is it dehumanizing, not only is it just absolutely just unbelievable and, and ridiculous. Let's just be real about it. What is the IQ level of police officers that would make this deduction? Because it wasn't just one. It was one and then it was a couple others came and everybody thought that this was a good idea. Why are they employed? I mean, if, if you cannot put two and two together in that simplistic realm, you do not have the intellectual capacity to wield a firearm, much less a badge or anything else associated with being in the police. Why are they still employed? That's absolutely Clear. asinine. Can I call him stupid? Call who stupid? The white folks? The cops. Hell yeah. Yeah. This, Matter of I mean, fact, you're taking too long to say it. Say I'm it again. Just, I'm just saying. But I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just like, but to Avis's point, you think one of the other cops would walk up and say, dog, you called us over this... this Somebody should have said... Over this But Roland, see, look, as we have seen time and time and time and time again on video, black men are prey, and white people are... These white men, a lot of these white cops, are getting off on the opportunity to control, to manipulate to make black people do what they want them to do. Hold but on. Let me say, but let me say this real quick before, before it's too late. Now, hold on. I want you to hold that because you're going you're gonna to repeat it for this one. Oh, I got another oh. one. Oh, oh, I got another one. First of all, hold <laughs> oh. my crazy ass white people uh, stinger, please. You can say that again, too. Crazy Roll that. Ass. This goes with... I'm white. I got you, On my property. Okay, I really need the crazy ass by people segment for this one. Okay, <laughs> Tashif Turner, y'all know he black. Tashif, <laughs> you, you, you ain't never met a white. You ain't never met a white Tashif. First of all, first name Tashif, last name Turner. Yeah, Turner. Yeah, I imagine that he's that's not a Caucasian. Probably from the Nat Turner lineage. <laughs> To Chief Turner from Detroit. Oh, damn. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's triple blackness right there. A Detroit street artist known as Shefi McFly. Y'all. I want to eight on Y'all. Lord have mercy. Y'all. This is actually happened. My man was arrested while painting a mural that had been commissioned by the city. He was painting a mural on a viaduct when a cop stopped him. He didn't have his city permit at the time. After trying to explain the situation, four or five police cars were sent to the site. A city official showed up to try to de-escalate the situation and explain the misunderstanding. But the cops were not having it. Detroit Police Department spokesperson, Sergeant Nicole Kirkwood, told the Detroit Free Free Press that McFly was uncooperative and was arrested for allegedly resisting and obstructing police, as well as you guessed it, on an outstanding parking ticket. It's, 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 Roland, I'm going to say something that's gonna, probably going to piss you off, so I'm, I'm moving all my stuff. Go ahead. So you're going to throw it at me. But is that kind of treatment by white folks, right, of black folks, right, 
that has some black folks saying, Kamala, how could you marry that? Now, I'm not saying it's rational. I'm not doing all that. I'm talking about what the impulse that people are having with the perpetual assault by white males on black people that's now on videotape since, we, since this thing was invented. And, and that's what's going on. I'm not talking about Ados. I believe that's bring, bring Ados in this. I'm talking about people outside of Ados who are having an impulse like, she ain't down. She's sleeping with the enemy. Now, let me close with this. Getting mad at black folks for dysfunctional behavior and acting out like this is like getting mad at somebody for limping after a car accident. There's been trauma, there's been an assault, and we just saw one. We saw one earlier, a moment ago, and now we saw one on this brother. They probably have another assault coming. These are the kind of things, along with what I said about the media and this racist bias, these are the kind of considerations happening in the black psyche when they see a certain situation. And when this person held himself up to be president, they were like, I don't know if she has my back. Brooke, that's part of what's going Brooke, on. the man painting a mural on city property commissioned by the damn city. Logic. And a city official shows up to explain it, and the cops still not listening. Every single one of those cops should be suspended and put their ass on desk duty, Brooke. Yeah, they're dangerous. And what uh, we were say talking about earlier, they don't have the mental capacity to have the job, period. And it, it does, we, we keep bringing it back around to Kamala, and I, I feel bad about that, but she shouldn't be blamed like as like sixth degree of separation. I agree, but because shouldn't. of what these people are doing. I'm telling you what's behind behavior. But let me also it's say that. Davis, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, give okay. attention to all bad behavior? Yeah, and here's my problem with, with that lot, and I know you're saying that it's not logical, but a lot of these it's people not. that are playing or they're saying that about her are going home and sleeping with white women. Let's just keep it real. Well, Let's keep it really real. I don't know about Let's that. Get, I do, because I have seen pictures with some of these men on here who try to kind of act like they're all pro-black, and then you look and see their family pictures. Oh, they tripping. Okay. So, listen, <laughs> if it's good for the gander, okay? See, we got to have a show about this, Roland. Let's keep it real. Right. We have to have a show about this nuance. This is so nuanced. Yeah. That ain't nuanced. Yes, it ain't nuanced. It ain't not nuanced. Every woman I've been with black, that ain't nuanced. I agree with you just said your sentiment. All right, y'all, I got to go to this one. I got to go to this one because this, oh, y'all, this is a good one. This is my last story today. I'm going to skip the Connecticut one. We know I'm going to go ahead and read it. Let me go ahead and read it, okay? Uh, you know what? Damn. Some more abuse to black people. Nah, nah. Uh, okay, <laughs> y'all, y'all. The, these cops in Connecticut, yeah. ooh, y'all, oh, show the complete disregard for the law and the, how stupid, can I call them stupid? Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> y'all, these dumbasses accidentally recorded themselves plotting to make up charges. Press play. Sure. Okay, What's no wrong? You have a handgun. You have a handgun. got a permit for the Just, uh, somebody just said that one of you guys had a gun on him. I got a gun! Oh, you don't have any weapons on you, do you? I'm asking you a question. Do you have any guns? Turn around. Why are you putting your hands on me? Because I'm checking to see if you have any weapons because your partner does. Don't put, don't put your hands on me. Turn around. Please do not put your hands on me. Okay. I'm going to take my picture. No, it's a public property. And it's illegal to take my picture personally. It is illegal. No, Did you get any documentation? I'm allowed you to take my picture? No, no but you're on public property. No, I'm Therefore, not. I'm on state property. No I'm on state property. You have no reasonable expectation of privacy. Can I have my phone? Now? Not yet. I got the camera.
the bullets for your weapon? Okay. Here's your ID. Okay. So you're really? Pay. You're writing me a citation? Yes, sir. Two, uh, two issues. Two violations, sir. Reckless use of the highway by a pedestrian and creating a public disturbance. Pay the ticket on time. Let's be a warrant for your arrest. Okay? Be careful driving. Be careful walking, I should say. And also, uh, just what I'm saying is the people get scared when they drive by and they see somebody with a, with a side on and it's not covered. Okay? okay. we got to think about other people, all right? But it's night, my right to do this. We got reports from motorists coming by that the weapon was in your hand. Better one, y'all. Let's go to Florida. It's always Florida. Zach Wester, he arrested dozens of innocent people after planting drugs in their cars during traffic stops. Y'all, uh, the drugs weren't in their cars because they were drug addicts. Uh, Zach didn't realize um, his camera was recording. Press play. Do what now? All right, I'll see if I can find it for you. Still behind bars. How is Zach not in prison right now? How is Zach not in jail? The most upsetting thing overall about this story to me is that the higher ups, according to at least the assistant state's attorney that was willing to uh, get this guy off the streets, according to her, is that the higher ups were willing to protect him and she got in trouble for investigating him. And you know what? You said something earlier, and I don't think he forgot his body camera was on. I don't think he cared, because I think he knows the system. He knows who the system is set to protect, and he knows that he would be okay. And, and he is okay. Davis? Well, she's absolutely right. Definitely I mean, right, yeah. the, the, you know, the fact that he can so blatantly break the law, set up all these people. And they're like, I think, believe I saw that there were like 100 people, cases uh, of people who are in jail now because 
of they were had communication, they had contact with him, which most likely he did the same thing to him. To them, he was habitually planting drugs on people. And the fact that once again we have a situation where the system is not set up to protect the public, the system is set up to protect the police officers, no matter what they do, no matter if they kill you, no matter if they um, plant drugs on you, whatever the police officer does, that is what who is protected. And this is just another example of it. Cleo. <laughs> Roland, Super black. Roland, thank you from the bottom of my heart for exposing this and showing that this occurs. And I have to um, mention at this point that these are cliches that are norms among law enforcement in this country that have finally gotten on video. There are a lot of black people, and some of them are famous, like Emmett Till, and you know we can go on and on, people who were murdered because white folks had a bad day and had the power to murder. So my whole point is that these are ongoing phenomena. The police are, many of them are psychopaths, anti-black psychopaths, and I don't agree that they're quote-unquote stupid. I think they're on a mission. Like you've said before, Roland, they're concerned about their numbers. And they've always been concerned about their numbers, and they've always been concerned about keeping power and making sure they have power through terror. And they're continuing the, continuing the work. That the and, and the and the, le, the, the the legacy of it. All right, and we need to look at for what it is, black people, so we can resist it properly. All right, then, Brooke. Thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. Avis, Cleo, thank you so very much as well. All right, folks, we got to go. Don't forget, you want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Join our Brain the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support the show. We're here, of course, uh, through Wednesday. Then, of course, 4th of July is on Thursday. I'll be in New Orleans for Essence Fest. Uh, Donald Trump, he is having his big... Um, I don't know what you want to call that. Actually, you know, he got little hands. So he had a little parade uh, on Thursday. Uh, we will not be there or even covering it or talking about it. That's just how it goes. Uh, so that's the deal there. Coming up next, though, we're going to be live streaming the event. The Justice League is having uh, their event out of New York, uh, talking about, of course, uh, the election and social justice. So uh, we got a great panel that is up next. So we're going to end the show right now, but then come right back for the stream. Uh, and... If all y'all folks out there will upset because we actually dare to challenge you on some of these issues, get over it. This is why we're unapologetically black. And also, I own it. See? And, the, and that's really the last thing. I'm going to close the show this way. For anybody else who tried to send me another tweet trying to say I work for a white master, um, this don't come off. This don't come off. It's mine. And so if you can try that all you want to, my suggestion, get more than 28 followers if you want to question somebody. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, and so, if, but it's always amazing. See, I go back to that self-hate when black people talk about when you black-owned stuff and somebody black who is black-owned who's from here and then they still ain't satisfied by that. When they think you big and bad enough, go ahead and start your own. Let's see how many watch. I got to go. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.